I have always felt that a good job today is better than a perfect job tomorrow. I feel like sometimes perfection, the seeking perfection, um, sometimes stops progress from happening. Let's get, let's do our best that we can do today. And tomorrow we get another crack at it. And it might be a minor improvement or it might be a more drastic improvement, whatever it needs, but we got to get it done and move on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. My name is Molly Nolan, I am your episode host, and I am thrilled to get our 2023 season officially started. We are kicking things off with Kevin Nolan, partner at Nolan Consulting Group and CEO of Nolan Painting, for a sneak peek into one of the chapters from Kevin's new book, Organizational Muscle, releasing early fall of this year. Today we're focusing on problems that lead to change, that inspire the need for a culture of continuous improvement. By this point, we all recognize that business, and life for that matter, is messy. Problems of a variety of sizes and significance are coming at us from all angles on a regular basis, forcing us to be adaptable human beings. Kevin shares his experience and approach to this component of business with 40 plus years in the painting industry with recommended strategies and tools to add to your organizational tool belt. Stay tuned for more chapter highlights to come in the podcast season ahead and the official release of Organizational Muscle this fall. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. All right, welcome back to another episode. Kevin Nolan, how are you doing this morning? Good, Molly. How are you? Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. When this episode is released, we'll be a month into 2023, which is wild to even think about. Uh, The year will, as, as always, just continues to move at a rapid pace. And today, this is a kind of a this is a fun uh, conversation because it's going to kick off some future discussions on a pretty big project that you're working on. Uh, Kev, what is that project? Tell the world. Yes, well, I've probably already told some of the world, um, but I'm writing a book called Organizational Muscle, and um, we're, we're I'm writing a chapter on um, on problems and uh, continuous improvement and change, and basically how business is messy and how you have to deal with it. Sure is. I mean, we have our own podcast series within Out of the Hourglass around business is messy that you and Brian uh, lead off. And so we're, we're going to use this this time here to kind of highlight your one of these chapters, which you just mentioned about problems, the need for change, continuous improvement. And then in the future, we'll hit a couple other chapters as well. That will be a, p- a part of the book. So um, listeners will kind of get a, a sneak preview of what's to come in Organizational Muscle, which you said is what? Going to be released around September 1st, 2023? Yeah, so it'll be uh, early fall of uh, 2023. And nice. uh, it's well along and I'm real excited about it. And I look to share it with everybody. I actually will be sending out a blog starting um, probably by the time this podcast is out with uh, little excerpts uh, twice a week on the book, little bite-sized snippets for those of us like myself that um, like snippets and short, have, I have a short attention span. So that's the <laughs> way I think. And so that's the way I communicate. I'll, I'll, I'll speak right to that. The blogs that get me to read are the ones that are 
this, this little snippets as well. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's jump into it. So like I said, business is messy. We know that. We talk about that pretty often. Expect you're going to have problems. And with problems, we recognize the need that sometimes we got to change things up. We got to adapt. And with yeah, that- so Problems are definitely a part of the business. Um, I'm only a couple hours into the day and I've already seen a few of them arrive. Um, they're just kind of the nature of the business. And- particularly if you're running the business or you're in some capacity managing aspects of the business, um, you're, you're going to have problems on a, on a daily basis. And I, I think it's important mentally to get your head around that and not think of them in the traditional way of like, oh my God, I have so many problems. Right. Not let, let yourself get shaken by the problems that sh- are just going to be there on a daily basis. So speaking of those, what types of problems are happening day to day? So like this morning, um, somebody we like who's been with us about eight or nine months um, left, uh, gave her her two week notice. Um, And yeah, I'm disappointed about it. Um, But uh, we're a little light on work right now. And, you know, that's probably not a terrible thing for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, yeah, it's just a problem. And it's not something I like or I'm happy about. But it's one of the main type of problems that basically employee problems. Yeah, they are leaving, um, or some of their behaviors maybe that need to be uh, addressed. Uh, employee problems probably are tops on the list. Um, next would be um, probably, I guess I would say customer problems. Although um, I think most of those are handled by my my crackerjack team that knows how to solve those problems. Right. They don't even get they don't even get to you, which is great. Um, I sometimes say the essence of the worst problems get to me. Um, by the time they do, they're 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 pretty bad. But mostly mostly those things are solved. Um, employee injuries and accidents of those of that nature seem to be a problem on our sides with a you know with a mm-hmm. hundred. Or 30 people working, things are happening all the time every day. People are in movement, and um, there's always um, things happening there. Um, We had a car accident last week, and uh, the the week before, somebody got injured. um, No, somebody got injured both weeks, actually. Um, Luckily, they're mostly minor injuries, uh, but often they do require either first aid or a visit to. to an emergency room or something like that. Um, so those are the, the main ones. And then, you know, there's the, there's the bigger ones that happen, which is obviously um, things like, uh, I don't know, I, I had a really big problem with the IRS a couple of years ago. They, they, were, they, didn't, they didn't like something about our 401k plan. And um, they indicated there was about $250,000 worth of fines that we were going to be subject to for the way we were doing our 401k plan. Um, And luckily, after um, a lot of years and lawyers, um, we did um, get them to back off, um, which was great. So we had legal fees, but we didn't have to pay that big bill. Mm -hmm. And then OSHA, I've had OSHA issues. Uh, um, We had uh, somebody fall uh, from a ladder and break his back. And that was terrible. Um, and that was terrible. And for a few months, getting, uh, getting him back to work was really the most important thing. Uh, we did get him back to work and it was terrific. Uh, within six months, he was back to work full time. And roughly about that same time, OSHA cited us 
for a serious penalty. Um, mm -hmm. And we um, then had to go in front of OSHA and had OSHA hearings and things like that. And we actually managed to get them to drop that penalty, um, which was terrific. So that's that's happened many years ago, not many years ago, maybe eight or nine years ago, Homeland Security hit us up pretty good with $150,000 worth of fines. And um, we managed to um, get that negotiated down to 55,000. Um, it was based upon some of our employee practices. So you can almost categorize that these problems from like the daily minute issues that are just going to happen all the time to the larger employee safety problems that are going to require some more extensive investigation and, and um, follow up. And then the large, maybe more federal problems that come about just <laughs> about being in small business, right? Yeah. You're, you're just going to, the hope is that you avoid those where you can, but got to have your guard up. Well, right? and also, I mean, a lot of times things don't turn out as bad on those bigger problems as I thought yeah. they were. I mean, that's one of the things to keep in mind is you, I think your mind immediately thinks of the worst. And, totally, totally. Really, uh, the worst could happen, but <laughs> often the worst doesn't happen. And with with good process and decision making, um, the best often happens of that. Mm -hmm. So I remind myself of that when I get frustrated that I have all these things on top of me, one after the other, whether it's, um, I mean, last week or two weeks ago, we had just gotten out of a sales tax Audit. I don't know why Pennsylvania Department of Revenue was auditing us for two to three years now on sales tax, but the fines were relatively minor, um, just a couple thousand dollars, um, and they resolved it, and it was over. And then literally moments later, we got told about a lawsuit from somebody oh. that we, there was a fender bender two years ago, and uh, there's a $100,000 bodily injury lawsuit from that now. And that's just, it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> We were just one second, we were free of all major problems and then back to another one again. So um, anyway. Uh, well, I guess I, that kind of leads into my follow-up question is about solving problems. Because like you just said, some of those larger problems that come down the road, like a lawsuit or um, you know a federal tax audit, those can be not as bad as you initially anticipated. But it's probably because you also have the way you uh, attack them, right? Like you don't just get that paperwork and file in a drawer and Forget pretend- about Forget about it. Pretend it didn't yeah. exist because if it, if you don't see it, it's not a problem. You know, but that the, ultimately is worse. Story, the OSHA story is probably my my favorite story in realizing that um, I was able to solve at least the biggest part of that problem. When we I hired an attorney and they indicated that we should uh, fight it. We should fight the the whole thing. The employee had been thoroughly trained. It was the employee's fault. And then. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I was going along with that. And somewhere along the way, I had an opportunity to interview a, um, a previous OSHA agent, somebody who had worked for OSHA. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I, somebody gave me their name and said, hey, if you want to give them a call. And I did. And I called them and they, they immediately convinced me that it was my fault, not the employee's fault. Um, what had happened is that the employee had, had was using a um, 
an orchard ladder, which is a three-legged ladder. I didn't even know we had them. Um, we had bought them many years earlier when we had a holiday lighting business and we sold the holiday lighting business, but we kept the orchard ladder. And it's a three-legged ladder and um, it's three-legged step ladder. It's missing a leg. It's pretty dangerous. Oh, yikes, yeah. yeah. You can put it around trees and things. Gotcha. And, um, it's supposed to be in soft ground. It's not supposed to be on hard ground. And, and um, it's also supposed to be sort of like leaning up against a tree and things like that. So this individual had taken the ladder and a, a sheet of plywood and put, they put the plywood down and then put the ladder on top, top because that would be safer. Well, that's not what it says about orchard ladders. Orchard ladders have to be on soft ground. So I thought... That employee knew nothing about orchard ladders. As a matter of fact, I didn't know anything about orchard ladders. I owned one and put him in danger. Yeah. I realized it was my fault. And so when I say fault, it doesn't mean like I'm blaming myself. Obviously, it is what it is. It happened. Um, but I'm the solution. I am not, he's not the problem. I'm the solution. So we obviously we got rid of the ladder. Um, but we accepted the blame and we didn't, you know, we, we, we realized then and there that we needed to know a lot more about all the equipment that, that our people used. I ended up hiring a, um, a safety manager, Very smart. Which, which was, and I told OSHA that uh, this was my plan. I'm hiring a safety manager. We understand this was our fault. We understood we owned a piece of equipment. Um, by the way, this was against my lawyer's advice. Um, and Interesting. And, uh, and we, we ended up getting it dropped. The, I had a sympathetic um, OSHA manager and the OSHA person said, that's fine. If you do what you say you're gonna do, we'll drop the, we'll drop the charges and what a relief. And yeah. what a learning experience, you know, that I realized that, um, yeah, you gotta get information. You gotta go out and find, you gotta think these things through. If I hadn't called that person, we would still have a serious violation on our record. Um, mm -hmm. So I was lucky, um, but I was also smart enough once I was presented with the with the right answer to to do it. So is that how you tend to solve problems in general? Is kind of you know that that mindset of gathering information and kind of attacking it head on? Yeah, and finding out you know just talking to other people, getting other opinions. Um, even if I, even if I first disagree with them, uh, sometimes when I think about it afterwards, I can put these things in perspective and, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just about, uh, realizing that it's all basically like, a, like, I don't want to say a game, but it's all basically a problem, like a math problem that has to be solved. And it's not necessarily this, these terrible things that are going to put you out of business. Um, but they are, they are, um, problems that are unwelcome and they need to be dealt with. And, and that's, you know, we often say have problems, eat problems for breakfast. Mm -hmm. It's, it's one of those things, you know, I often internally mentally think of things in declarative statements and that's how I govern myself. And so when I have these problems, I go, yeah, that's my job. Uh, my job is to solve problems. Um, my job is also to teach others how to solve problems. Yeah, that's a big one. That's my biggest job right now. Yeah. Teach other people how to solve problems, coach them, 
um, because they appreciate the coaching. Um, don't just say solve it. They, you ask them how you can help them solve the problem. That's, and then after one or two attempts at this, they don't need any more help. Um, there's no sense having them learn the hard way just because you did. Right. Totally. That, that's, I think that's a point we have to really highlight because there's a lot of folks in this industry who think people need to learn the hard way. And it, well, don't, not- say, uh, don't bring me problems. No, no, no. You can bring me problems. I'm happy. My door's open. I'm happy to talk to you about problems. And let's talk about it. How about you solve this problem? Not me. And they usually go, okay, I'll, I'll do it. What do you want? What do you think? And we'd come up with a strategy. But having having that that open line of communication to know that you are giving you are enabling people with the ability to solve problems, but they also know that if they need help with that problem solution, that the door is open. Yep, that's huge. Um, just a couple of the tools, real quick, about it. Just because uh, I once again, I think in terms of tools and declarative statements and how to get your head around these things. Um, I, I often tell people live in day tight compartments uh, from Dale Carnegie has stop worrying and start living. Day tight, day tight compartments are like, um, like Tupperware or like a jar with a lid. And, you know, like it, that ha- that's a whole problem. It has a lid on it for the moment. I don't need it to be open and have the smell coming out of it. And, <laughs> you know, create other problems for me. Um, so daytime compartments is really important. In other words, at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do about it. It's tomorrow's problem. That's okay. Um, I try to reframe problems, uh, reframe them in ways, uh, whenever I think of something that's bad, I try to say, but the good news is, and there's usually good news somewhere along the way. I've heard you say that many times. <laughs> yeah, a solution or the beginning of a solution or some type of process about it, uh, that you can start to talk about it and reframe it as a possibly uh, new new way to approach things. Um, change is good. Um, another one which I've coached people on is something called intelligent neglect. Um, so that means you smartly ignore someone or ignore the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ignore a problem smartly and you can do it poorly. So smartly, um, sometimes when we do um, an estimate for somebody, the estimator decides they don't want to work for this customer, that the customer seems like they are uh, um, crazy (laughs) and they don't want to be part of that world. So they send an email to the customer. Uh, We usually say that wait a few hours to indicate that you've thought it over. And then to say, after careful consideration, we've decided to pass on this project. Thank you very much. And then the customer often calls, right? Yeah. Sometimes they, they call or they want to talk to me about that. And I ignore that. I figure, no, no, I will reach out to the estimator and say, what's the story? And they'll say, oh, wow, crazy person. No way. You don't need to talk to this person. Yeah. Um, or they may say, yeah, they're, they're not happy. They're a friend of a friend. Um, and um, I'll intelligently neglect them. First off, I won't call them back right away um, if I call at all. Um, often I'll make them call twice. The second time they, they have to call the second time, if, and, then, and then I'll call back. Like, I'm not afraid of confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't seek it. You know? Right. 
Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not necessary for you to give your time to this small issue. They, if, they already have an answer. Yeah. Most anything I say is going to get us in trouble. <laughs> we'll just keep, we'll just keep it on the low. Um, yeah. And then the most, really the most important one with all these problems is just the PRC, which is pause, reflect and choose. Major. Solution. And it could be, it could be, don't create more problems with your responses you know, make sure that you're thinking hard, get opinions about, I don't know how, I don't care how confident you are. You should always get other people's opinions about what they think, how they think, how it's going to come out. What do they, if I say this, what will they think? These are good ideas to basically integrate into your life. And they, they probably at the end of the day, help you and, and your team kind of relieve or relieve some of the stress that comes with having problems. Yeah. These are tools for kind of working through them. And like, I, say, I, I think, I think that, that the stress that comes from this is mostly a choice that if you follow some of these things and you can see, we've got these, these different tools. Yeah. Um, if we follow them, then we can go through them different processes and yeah, all of a sudden it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just another day in the life. Another day in the life of a, of a messy business world. <laughs> to talk about that. Um, do you, to wrap up kind of this, this focus on problems, do you ever think you'll be free of them, Kev? Um, so no, I don't think I will. I, obviously they change. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to move out of a, out of an active role over the next few years in the business, and I, I'll have more of a, a larger role, um, uh, more of a you know a chairman role. Uh, so I won't have the same problems. Um, but you know, it's a little bit addicting to have problems and to solve problems. So I'll try to wean myself slowly um, because having problems is bad. Solving them is good. Little dopamine injection. Yeah. Yeah, it shows. It shows that the the to be able to solve problems, you're bringing value in in certain areas to the business, and that feels good. It Everyone wants to feel needed when a plan works out. Like when that when we solved that OSHA problem, man, did I feel I was high as a kite from that thing? <laughs> I, and I'd spent months sleepless nights. And yeah. So um, yeah, more than a little shot of dopamine there, but nonetheless. Um, the business problems eventually will disappear and I'll create problems someplace else. Yes. Because problems exist outside of business and we all we all know that. Okay, let's move into change because we know as a result of having problems, we often have to change the way we interact and behave and, and processes. Um, so gosh, Kev, you've been in business for you know over 40 years now. Yeah. What has what has changed in business in the last 40 years? Isn't it amazing? I mean, you think painting, it's the same as it ever was, but there's been so many changes. Obviously, you know, technology has changed the way we run businesses, um, technology, even some of the equipment that we use. When I first started, I, I tried to get a side job as a manufacturer's rep. I thought I was going to get out of the painting business eventually. And I, I sold um, power washers and paint sprayers. Um, to like Sherman Williams and, and other paint stores. And I was a manufacturer's rep. They would sell them to contractors, bring me in. I would demonstrate them. And since I had a little bit of a painting experience, I was pretty decent at it, but um, I didn't um, love it. Um, but I did love the power washer and the paint sprayer. So I bought them both. And I 
back in 1979 or 1980, we were, I was one of the first contractors to have a power washer and, uh, and a paint sprayer. And we immediately started to, to try to do different things with that. I mean, that's, that's a change in itself. Like to just to, for you to say you were the first contractor in like our area to have a power washer. And now it's just a, it's just a tool that every business has now. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, no one else did. We were the first to get a computer system. Um, and I remember in 1985, we were cranking out computer estimates. And um, basically, it was just all word processed. Estimate would be written up. And we would save a copy. We'd open it up. We'd make changes to the person's name and all. And then we'd save another copy of theirs. And I would be able to get them out quickly, um, without mistakes, very professional, had a list of our insurance and all that stuff there. And um, we would put references on there. Customers were impressed. Um, you know, then later communication and cell phones. I know we were, I was the first in my neighborhood to get a cell phone, ridiculously expensive. I had a car phone um, and I had a laptop computer in 1985 and I would drive around managing teams and have information at my fingertips. They had beepers. Um, Later, we went to uh, Nextel two-way walkie-talkies, and then we went to uh, cell phones for everybody, and then iPads, um, and um, now all kinds of software that we use to manage the business, um, all different types of subscription softwares that we use. Um, and then, um, you know, just the, the industry itself has changed, you know, back when I first started um, was around the same time that lead was being removed from, from paint and used to be a part of it, but in 1978, lead was removed. So I started in 1979. Um, so already there were some big changes happening. And then later VOC, volatile data compounds uh, started to be measured and um, with oil-based paint and thinners and, and products that, that were petroleum-based started to be eliminated. Um, from the industry. Um, now we were mostly all the products that we use are um, low volatile or zero volatile organic compounds. And of course, the demographics of the country have changed dramatically. I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers. Um, they've pretty much um, had a huge impact in all kinds of things, everything from um, housing to um, you know, demographics of, of communities and um, they, they by and large done financially well. So they, we've followed along and they've been our customers for all these years. Um, then millennials came and became our employees for a lot of years. Now, now millennials are also our customers. Um, and so our country has, has grown um, you know, the country really has grown very rich over that time period. Obviously, there's poverty, but there's also very wealthy pockets and demographics to suit our business. Um, and then, you know, as much as anything, the size of our business. Yeah. So from two to four people to 120, 150 people um, and all the changes that have to happen um, for that to have you manage people and you add HR departments and so, yeah, not a day goes by without some measure, discussion, um, idea towards what change has to happen next, you know. Yeah. 
It's it's funny you were talking a lot about the technology communication, and I recently started an, saw an article kind of in the new year, you know, transition of the things that existed or did not exist twenty years ago. And it's pretty eye-opening, the things that we that are a part of our daily life right now that we would be like, how did we ever live without that? Didn't exist 20 years ago. The iPhone, Google, G, G Suite. I mean, simple things like that that are, are, are part of our process. So imagine without GPS, we used to have, we used to have uh, for half an hour, we used to have people and employees called, calling and saying they were lost. Yeah. Um, we used to take a, a copy of a map and draw the directions with highlighter for each house on the map, on the copy piece of paper. So just the other day, I said, I need to map quest that. And I was like, where, where did you come from? <laughs> like, where, where's that word still in my repertoire somewhere? We haven't used map quest in years, but that's a perfect example. Just the way and how your employees get to the jobs has changed. Yeah, absolutely. So much of that. And they, so you have to anticipate. Clocking in, they're clocking in, they're using GPS to clock yeah. in and yeah. So you have to anticipate that more change is coming. I mean, it, that change is constant at this point. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, I, I, I'm always careful to speculate out loud, um, but the industry um, will continue to change. You know, I see in other industries um, consolidation, and eventually there'll be some consolidation here in our industry, um, where what's happening in some industries is, uh, private equity money is coming in buying a company and then that company is being a shell to buy other companies. Um, it's happening in the HVAC industry. It's happening to um, somebody who owns an insurance agency that I know. Um, that, so I, ultimately that'll happen in our industry. Um, and of course, I'm always worried about you know, as Google changes their rules about how people search and they put different ad, where they put different ads up front or whether Angie's List is going to take over or whether Home Advisor is going to be the, the great, which is actually Angie's List now, but who's going to be the one that determines who gets paint jobs? Is it going to be customers deciding they want to choose a known contractor or would they, or would they call a service like Thumbtack or Angie's List? And they'll parcel out leads, which is what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you would then be getting leads from them. So these are all so scary. But once again, they don't always work out so bad because you have an opportunity on your, on your own to make changes uh, to the system. So you can often uh, come out well ahead. But- How do you get people on your company? I mean, I, I sense you are an individual who... You don't mind change. Change is good. You see opportunity with change. Um, and you're often a part of the team that's kind of enforcing change within the business and how things are operating. But how do you get other people in the business to accept and buy into that new change? Well, I think it's some of the things we're doing today just by telling different stories about it and tell, and showing examples about why we need to. I mean, for, for years, I kept saying, you know, we were at $5 million in revenue, let's say, and I'd say, when we get to be $10 million in revenue, this problem that we currently have now will be a mess. I don't know, the way that we reimbursed gas or something like that, or the way we um, did job costing, you know, that what we're doing now won't scale. So that's one, one of the things. But, you know, often it's, it's about um, making the business case um, about why it's important. Um, but also uh, 
to be a change company. So everybody knows change is inevitable. We're always changing. Um, we have a business plan that by its very nature is going to have things that have to be changed in the new year because we've listed these things as areas that we need to work on. Um, so there's that. And then um, I think it's important to uh, totally respect the, um, the integrator. So, so if I'm the visionary, the one coming up with these harebrained ideas that aren't all good, uh, but some might be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I seem to be looking, looking for it in the world. I, I read New York Times and Wall Street Journal and countless other rabbit holes I go after that might, I might see something that might affect our world in the future. And then I start talking about it and looking for it. And then I come to some idea that, you know, this is what, what's happening. This is what's going to happen. And this is why we need to change. So like, for instance, right now, um, I don't see the labor shortage uh, changing. And therefore, um, because there's, there's um, jobs are coming back to the United States as opposed to, you know, being pulled from China. So jobs are coming back here, factory jobs, and they want to make things here so that we don't have uh, long supply lines and all that. And um, once again, the demographics are changing and the millennials are, are work, moving out of our workforce. So I see that for the long haul, we're going to have these issues. So I see that. I talk about it. And the, the people that in my company that have to help solve these problems see that too, particularly because I've identified it. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it. I've shown evidence that it's going to happen. Um, and then together we come up with plans. But I don't make change happen on them. I just make the case for change. Right. I just sometimes state we must change but I don't make the change happen on them. They're the ones doing the work. I have to have complete respect for the way we do the business that we do every day. The people that do the the mundane tasks that have to be done, the way we schedule jobs, the way we schedule estimates, the way we do estimates, the way we do the paint jobs, the way we clean up at the end of the day, like all the things that we do are, are written out Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to go changing those things, there a lot of them are interconnected, and I would have rebellion unless I had, unless I was helping to be part of the solution. So I do not step in and micromanage these jobs. All I do is help people see the case for change, and then they make the change. Um, yeah, and there's there's and we've had you know palm to discussions around it where the steps for implementation and how to make things actually stick. But this is this is the introduction of change. And you're right, you can't just drop a bomb of, of, of we're changing this and walk away. You got to kind of really massage it into the conversations yeah. and get people on board. I always say, let's socialize the idea. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I just say it. It says, like, what do you think? Does that make any sense? And like, you can also say, I don't think it makes sense, but what do you think? Like it's, you do not have to scare somebody just because you're talking about an idea. Mm-hmm. They have to realize that we talk about ideas and we're not going to implement anything until, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. We got to slow it down. We're going to have a meeting about it. We're going to put it together. We're going to, you know, we're going to basically get everybody on the same page. They all agree that this has to be done. And now we all work together 
to solve the problem, um, which is great because they're the ones doing the problem. Right. And solving the problem, um, my, my, I'm supposed to make sure that everything is needed as, is there to support it. I can imagine it, it only, it helps kind of the whole situation, the more that you even just socialize how change is done at your company so that employees are aware that when problems occur and change is needed, this is how we generally go about it. So yeah. that there's just, there's awareness for how th- how things tick within, within the organization. Um, and they'll just feel more comfortable when they, when they know change is coming. Well, they know it's been put through a certain funnel of discussion and all that, you know, they'll have, they'll like, they'll have a say in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they want. They want to say in it Mm -hmm. and not just say it, but they'll, they might even have a hand in it, like making it happen, making it work and they may be able to improve or add to it. And that's teamwork. Like that's the fun. People stuff. like to be involved. Again, they yeah. like to be know that they're adding value. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's relatively simple, but it's not often done. So that's important. It's true. That is true. It's often easier to say. Yeah. On a on a similar note, um, before we kind of move on to this this last item, you know, change obviously is happening in the business world, but for you, but what about your personal life as you're making this transition? You know, out of Nolan painting in the day in the day to day, what's going on in your personal world? Um, well, it's funny because so writing this book is important, um, but I sort of changed it as um, I think of it as not as retirement, but as rewirement. So rewiring my brain uh, to uh, function in a different way. I've done that before. I'll do it again. Um, so change some of the personal goals, um, do things um, intentionally, um, pull away intentionally. Um, but, um, fulfill yourself with other, um, things that are interesting that, that make me, you know, excited for change. Um, but, uh, yeah, change is going to happen either way. Um, it's really just a matter of, um, accepting it and maybe even having some control over, you know, how it, how it plays out. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm not afraid of change. Um, I know that, um, I will, I'm, I'm one of those lucky people that um, will never be bored. So you will uh, always, like you were saying before, you will always find new problems to create. <laughs> there you go. So I won't be yeah. bored. So that's not a worry. Yeah. yeah. I like that term though, rewirement as opposed yeah. to retirement. Well, it really is. You have to rewire your gratification centers, like what makes you happy, what makes, you know, you have to, one of the things that um, I've always done and it, it, you know, it's probably, probably uh while die early it's because i go 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 you know um and um so that go 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 um has to be um slow down a little bit but nonetheless that's my style so i have to sort of still be able to incorporate uh daily daily go go agendas things i got to do um and so i make lists for myself and plan plot and move in that general direction. And uh, and we do all this because continuous improvement is essential, right? Kind of yeah. to, to bring us into this, this last area, you're with problems, with change, we're continuously trying to get better. Why is it so important to you, you know, specifically that, that Nolan Painting has a continuous improvement culture? Well, I, I had a friend, Jerry Howe, in the painting industry. He was an early mentor. And he said, if you're not getting better, you're getting bitter. And I like the, the concept of getting better so that you just don't get bored at the very least. 
I mean, whether you get bitter or not, but you definitely get bored. Um, and so always having something to look forward to as a business is important too, whether it's a, a goal or um, aspirations where how you're going to grow and the opportunities for everybody in the company as you grow, um, it's going to require continuous improvement. And back when um, Brian and, and I started um, Nolan Consulting Group, um, we talked about uh, the seven critical elements of business success. And, uh, you know, it included, you know, business planning and, and team building and you worked your way up the mountain and you had to do, you had to have financial understanding. And at the top of the mountain, mountain was continuous improvement. And uh, the theory is, is that when you were at the top of the mountain, now what? You know, what is the next summit? Um, and in, in our world, it's really going back to the bottom of the mountain or any mountain and doing it again. That's mm -hmm. what we do. We just, we hike up mountains and, um, and all along the way, we try to uh, do it better. Um, and that's the process. So, you know, I have always felt that a good job today is better than a perfect job tomorrow. Um, so I feel like sometimes perfection, the seeking perfection, um, sometimes stops progress from happening. Um, so that's a fine line because at the end of the day, you know, they often say, you know, good is the enemy of great. So all these things go back and forth. But in my right. mind, let's get, let's do our best that we can do today. And tomorrow we get another crack at it. And tomorrow may be a year from now, but, you know, for instance, our training program is my, my thought of the training program is that we review a module every week and we try to make it a little bit better. And even if it's not perfect, we call it a day and now we come back to it a year later mm -hmm. and we'll move on to the next module. And it might be a minor improvement or it might be a more drastic improvement, whatever it needs, we'll, we'll get an understanding for it and then we'll uh, put a timeline on it. Um, but we got to get it done and move on um, because that's the only way to get ahead is to come up with this process of continuous improvement. Um, so, you know, if you think about things, they naturally tend to fall apart if you don't put continuous improvement on it. Like, um, you know, like my garage or um, my office gets messy unless I all of a sudden one day decide I'm going to clean the garage or I'm going to clean the office. Um, and, you know, it, it's good to be tidy all along, but it's also okay to not be so hyped up on that organization that you don't get other things done. And once a week, clean your garage. You know, that's not a big deal. It's just part of uh, what it is to be organized. And, you know, our bodies are like that as well. We have to exercise routinely. Um, it doesn't ever stop. Um, and if not, the muscles grow weaker and you want them to grow stronger. So you have to continually re-exercise and do it again and again and again. Um, there's a, an, a, a concept called the Hawthorne effect. Okay. Yeah. No, I've not heard of it. So it's, a, it's, it's this concept of um, shining the light on something. So we all have heard that we're going to shine the light on something. Mm -hmm. and it, it comes from... Um, this concept of lights at a factory. They found that if they turn the lighting up, 
um, that there would be a increase in productivity um, for some period of time. Um, they, they found out other behavioral things as well, like after a period of time, that efficiency stopped happening. They returned to normal. So there's an opportunity for increased efficiency, but then a return to normal. And so the understanding is, is that um, you have to constantly keep shifting around and shining the light on things anew. Interesting. So that you're going to continue to create um, a new focus on things so that you can continually make them better, even if just for a short while, even if just a little bit. Um, and then, you know, we're not trying for 100% improvement a lot of times, sometimes just 1% improvement. Right. You know, 1% improvement 100 times is 100% improvement. So, you know, little, little bitty continuous improvement um, on all of the millions and millions or hundreds and hundreds and thousands anyway of systems that you have in your business or the way you do things. You know, they just look at them and in, in your like, operations manual, there's millions of ways, you know, you know, one of the things we're going to do this year is we're going to hopefully change the way we schedule jobs. We're trying to make it easier on the office by having the estimators do a couple extra steps on their end. The job would automatically be scheduled. We would save a whole lot of steps for um, the office. Um, that's a minor little tweak, but it's part of an overall continuous improvement process that, I mean, it might sound boring, um, but the only thing boring would be doing the same thing the same way every day with maybe increasing levels of frustration, you know? Um, so. Do you think you'll ever be done making improvements in the way you do something at Nolan? I don't think we look at it as that because of that change element we talked about before. Mm -hmm. If it was done now, now all of a sudden the world has changed and what was done before won't, won't work now. I mean, we, we make, in fact, as you know, with Nolan Consulting Group, you guys are on our call on Wednesdays, on our Wednesday morning operations call, just so that you could see how we're doing things now. Yep. And you can coach clients any way you want, but I didn't, didn't want you saying that, you know, Nolan Painting does X, Y, and Z when that's what we were doing two years ago. We're not doing it now. Right. Um, because we are changing that fast because the world is changing that fast. So we'll change. And I'm, you know, I, I mean, here's a story where um, change. One, I think we were doing 10 million a year um, and we decided we wanted to lower credit card costs. So we lowered the credit. We decided we were going to use only checks. We were going to tell customers it was going to be more expensive if they did a credit card. And we want them to give us checks. So after one year of checks being misplaced and lost and waiting for checks, um, I realized that that was a foolish idea. And we decided to push for credit cards. Now we tell customers the preferred method of payment is credit cards. It's the way it is. Uh, it's because the world has changed. We want to get paid fast and credit cards make it happen faster. Um, and we don't have people driving all around, driving back to the office with checks in their wallets. Um, so the world changes and we just, we just have to change with it. And even if, if it looked right yesterday, it doesn't look right today. So 
always changing. Kev, anything else you want to add on this particular topic of continuous improvement before we, we give it a wrap? I would just say, you know, um, looking ahead for bottlenecks and future bottlenecks, looking for ways to save labor, um, faster method of doing things. Um, you know, we, one of the, one of the lines in our, in our, uh, mission statement is, um, to be the best in the business. And, um, so we often now say we think we are the best in the business, but that doesn't mean you'll be there for long. It means that, that tomorrow you're not the best in the business. You have to prove it again. And, you know, like a sports team that wins, uh, wins the, the championship, the next day there's people gunning for them. Yep. And there's people gunning for us and we need to be, um, the best in the business that means that every single day we have to challenge that um and try to be better and the best version of ourselves and better than yesterday and look at the best practices and think about that as um an exercise and not as a conceited statement of status but as an aspiration uh to be the best in the business um you're the ones challenging yourselves at the end of the day challenging yourselves and that's the best challenger because hopefully you'll be able to um, use that to um, motivate you and the whole team. I love it. I got plenty more in my book um, on the chapter that I'll be including in in the book um, and look for it um, later this year. Awesome, Kev. Thanks so much. Thanks, Molly. Appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.